All right, so tonight is Leviticus chapter 5 into half of, well, like seven verses into chapter 6. So we're going to start at chapter 5, verse 1, and we're going to read through chapter 6, verse 7 on the guilt offering. What the heck is a guilt offering? It's going to be good. So Leviticus 5, I'm going to read it, and then we will pray. Leviticus 5 says this. If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of an unclean livestock or a carcass of an unclean swarming things, and is hidden from him, and he has become unclean, and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort the uncleanness may be with which he becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him, when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, keyword, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him, when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, In any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sins he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. But, you know what? Yeah, this is right, this is right, this is right. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering, the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest who shall offer first the one for a sin offering. He shall wring its head from its neck, but shall not sever it completely and shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to the rule and the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed and he shall be forgiven." But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he has committed a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, shall put no frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. And he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take a handful of it as a memorial portion, burn this on the altar on the Lord's food offerings. It is a sin offering. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any one of these things. And he shall be forgiven, and the remainder shall be for the priest, as in the grain offering. Verse 14, the Lord spoke to Moses, it's like he took a breath, saying, if anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock, valued in silver shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. The priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins, doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then he realizes his guilt. He shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for the mistake that he made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. 
it is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. And then chapter six up to verse seven. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, if anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has wronged his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt, and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the, the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him who, to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. The word of God, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for Leviticus. Honestly, Jesus, thank you for Leviticus. It's your word and it has been so good. It's been so encouraging and refreshing. Jesus, it's shown us um, it's helped, helped me to see like what you did for me on the cross in all these new ways, Lord. And um, I thank you for Leviticus chapter five and six and the guilt offering. Jesus, thank you that you are the guilt offering and that this, as we study it and as we like try to wrestle with what it means, we're gonna see you more clearly tonight, Jesus. We're gonna see that though we are guilty before you, you, you love us and you have made a way for us to take, for our guilt to be taken away. For that burden that is our guilt that we carry around, you're like, no, come to me. I wanna take that away. Jesus, thank you for these that would come on a Friday night and sit at your feet and worship you and, and, and pray to you and hear your word. Lord, would you, would you help them now? God, help us together to hear your word. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We need you. Help me to speak faithfully what is in your word and help the rest of us to listen and understand. Give us faith to understand tonight. We love you, Jesus. Come meet with us now. May this be just a holy moment, Lord, as we're in your presence studying your word. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so tonight, big idea is guilt. The guilt offering. Um, And to start, I was trying to like, I was trying to think about guilt in my life and I was trying to think about uh, like a time in my life where I just felt guilt the most. Um, I just thought like maybe there'd be a good story when I was a little kid and I was like trying to think about it. And um, I thought of like all the stupid things I did as like a kid in junior high. Um, And to be honest, most of them just seemed ridiculous and funny. Like when I was just like, oh, when did I feel guilty? I was like, no, I just thought that was funny. I just thought that was funny. Like there was a season in junior high and the early high school when I was going nuts. Like I literally was losing it. I went to this small Christian school and it was like, I didn't consciously think this, but I was like, I want to see how much I can get away with here. I just want to see how far I can push like and not get expelled. And so I was literally printing counterfeit money and spending it at the snack bar. I was literally like spraying my, my PE teacher with a fire extinguisher. Like I was literally fishing. I fished for seagulls, like, like fishing hooks outside at lunch where they had been like killing seagulls. And I, just, I was doing crazy things just to see like, am I gonna get away with it? Am I gonna go with it? And I got so close to getting expelled, honestly. And, um, and like, I honestly didn't feel guilty. I, I thought it was funny. And honestly, even now I kind of think it's funny. Um, <laughs> 
But there was, there was a time when I was like, when have I felt guilty? And I was like, oh yeah. Um, and it, it was a time that I, I wasn't expecting. So I have a pretty strict dad. I'm half Dutch. Um, and my dad is Dutch, Dutch. Like, I don't know if you know Dutch culture, but like he grew up on a dairy. He got up like before the sun. Like, I mean, I don't know how much this is true, but he's like, oh, when I was a kid, he's that guy. He's that like, I worked so hard. And I, uh, I was working when I was in junior high and everyone else is sleeping in on a Saturday. And my dad's like a hard worker and a saver and he's serious. Um, and from like early on, I remember whenever I'd get in trouble, my dad would sit me down and like, I, I could tell he was like trying to make me feel guilty. And he would like, just like hammer me. And it just like never, it was just kind of funny to me. It was kind of annoying to me. Um, so in this season, my dad was just like sitting me down, sitting me down, sitting me down. And my dad's not emotional. That's another thing. Like, like stereotype, that's pretty true about Dutch people. They're just not emotional. I've never saw my dad cry growing up. Um, and so I'm just sitting there and my dad's just going on, giving me like this talk, right? And I'm like, okay, dad, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, honestly didn't care. And we finished the talk. I didn't listen. We, it was like a few minutes go by and I'm like walking down the hall. This is maybe five minutes later. And my, and my dad was walking this way and my dad's like head was down and I was like, I'm not gonna look at my dad, but like we're walking by each other, you know, like in a hallway. And I briefly look up at my dad and he had been crying. Like my Dutch dad, who I've never seen cry after this talk that I thought was ridiculous. Like I looked and his eyes are red and they were like tears. And I just like walked by and saw my dad. And like that moment, actually, I remember the, I can still remember the feeling of like, oh, like if, if I brought my dad to tears and I remember the guilt. And that was honestly like one of a turning, one of the turning points in my life at that time was like, I made my Dutch dad cry. And like, I felt that guilt. Um, And when we think about guilt in our culture, like, I think typically that's how we think about it. We think about it in terms of a feeling, right? Like I feel guilty. Um, or we think of it like it's this objective thing, like in a courtroom, like you are guilty or you are not guilty. This is interesting, but in the Old Testament, they had the word for guilt. Uh, see if I wrote it. It's a, a psalm. And it actually, it didn't have to do so much with like an external, are you guilty, are you not guilty? It had like a really relational sense to it. It had this sense of like, you you owe God this like relational debt and that's guilt. Or you owe a person this relational debt. Like that feeling I had with my dad was actually like what the Hebrew word means. Like when when you would hurt someone and it's like you kind of like owe them this debt, this like this breach of a relationship. So the word means like indebtedness or to suffer or like compensation. Like I owe you because I've broken this breach of trust. That's more what this guilt had what what it meant in the old testament and in in this guilt offering and um so the guilt offering was here's like we read it but to sum it up it's basically this you would offer a guilt offering when you would sin against either god or a person in such a way that you owed them something like so uh let's say you borrow something you borrow whatever, a tool from your neighbor and you forgot about it and you realize, crap, like it's been a long time and I have that, you would, you would give it back and you would add, you'd actually give some interest and then you would make a guilt offering. So, for, so in terms of God, it'd be like you didn't pay tithe and you realize like, oh, I didn't pay tithe. Like, shoot, that now I need to make a guilt offering. Like I'm indebted to God. I've incurred this debt to God. Or this is a funny one, but 
uh, it talked about, when we read it, it talked about anything uh, of the holy things of the Lord. So uh, you could go to the, the tabernacle and make a sacrifice. And let's say you accidentally get like a spoon or something, right? But it's like a holy spoon. And you like come home and you realize like, oh my gosh, this is the holy spoon. And like maybe you didn't realize that you're like eating your cereal with it and you're like, this is a holy spoon. That's incurring debt against God. So you would have to give it back, pay interest, and then make a guilt offering. So the big picture is like when you would wrong God or a person in such a way that you had to pay them back. That's like the big idea. And here's, here's like a truth under that that we forget. Sin is, sin is many things. Sin is, is doing something wrong. Sin is breaking a law. Sin is like maybe becoming dirty, unclean. Um, but something else sin is that I don't think of often is sin is relational. Like sin is deeply relational. So when you sin against God, it's not just that he was like, hey, don't do that. And you did it. It's like, oh, that just like that hurts. Like that just affected our relationship. This has affected our trust. Like, it, when, when you sin against a person, it's, it's wrong, but it's also kind of like, oh, that sucks. Like, why'd you do that? Like, I thought it like affects relationship. So sin is deeply relational and the guilt offering had to do with that, had to do with this like relational nature. And so because sin is relational, this is important. To make sin right, that process is also relational, okay? Because sin is in part relational to make sin right, that process of making things right is also a relational one. It's also this relational one. So that's why in chapter five, verse five, if you look at that, this is really, really important. It says, when he realizes his guilt in any of these things, and what's the next word if you're looking at it? Confesses, okay, confesses. Um, this is because sin is relational, to make it right, there is this thing God has given us called confession, okay? It's confession. Uh, there's kind of two ways to think about confession. Um, maybe when we think of confession, we think of like Roman Catholic Church, which honestly, like, they kind of get it more than we do. That's actually kind of right. Um, but there's two ways to think about confession. Number one, confession to God. And then number two, Travis is shaking his head. He hates, no, he doesn't hate Catholics. But sorry, sorry, Travis. <laughs> Travis is like, what is he saying? Um, we confess to God, but then there's also this thing about confessing to people, okay? Like there's two different parts of confession. So we're gonna talk about what does it mean to confess to God? What does it mean to confess to people? So <laughs> we've probably all experienced this. When we sin and we don't confess it, it is like, it can actually eat you up inside. And I know every one of us has experienced that. Even as like a little kid, I was trying to think of a story like when you know you've done something wrong, and you're like, oh my gosh. And it's just like, it just is eating you up inside. Sin actually, when you don't let it out, when you don't confess, it, it's like poison in your body and in your soul. And it weighs you down. If you want to flip really quick to Psalm 32, this Psalm was written by David um, when he sinned. Um, we're not 100% sure, but we think probably this was written when he, if you know the story, he like stole a guy's wife, slept with her, got her pregnant, then killed the guy and then like covered it up. It's a pretty gnarly sin. Um, this, we're pretty sure this Psalm was written after David finally confessed, but he's writing about when he had this crazy sin. And, and this Psalm is what happens to your soul when you don't confess, okay? It's gnarly. Like thir Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is 
forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. So when you don't confess, it's like you're lying in your soul. Like your spirit, there's deceit. You're like carrying this lie around in your spirit. Verse three, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I I could probably guess that we've all experienced that at some point in our life. Verse four, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me, God's hand. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So, I mean, real quick, how gnarly is that? God is like, it's just like God is just putting his hand on your head everywhere you go, just just squishing you down. When we don't confess our sin, it, it feels like weight. It feels like just this heaviness. And this is really gnarly, but if you don't experience that, that's maybe because you have like a dead heart and, and maybe you've like seared your conscience. And, and so like you're even further away. Like, no, you know, I don't even feel it. I'm okay. That is the progression of sin. It begins to like, you're, you have this tender conscience in you that God has given you. Every time you don't confess, the Bible says it's like, it's like you have this tender piece of meat and you just put it on a hot grill and it gets seared and it kind of like hardens up. And then you do it again and it's like seared another part and the thing just sears until it doesn't feel anymore. If we don't confess, that's slowly what we're doing to our souls, just searing our conscience. But if, if, you're, if you're walking with the Lord and then you sin and then you're holding it in, like it's God's grace. Think about this. It's God's grace to like, I'm gonna make you miserable. I'm gonna make you miserable until you confess your sin to me. And then he says, verse five, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. Side note, you know what's crazy? We try to like cover our iniquity, right? Like Jesus like, let me cover your iniquity. We're like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'll cover it up. I'm good. I will, I'll do something good and I'll cover up myself. Adam and Eve, the first sin, the first thing they did was went and they tried to cover themselves up. Remember that? Fig leaves. Like, nope, I'm good. I can cover myself. But really we're like, we're wearing fig leaves. Uh, verse five, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And then verse nine, look at verse nine. This is David's warning now to us. Hey, he's saying, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. He's saying, if you don't confess your sin, you're going to become like this thing, like this unruly, stubborn animal that has you have to put a bit in its mouth and like drag it along. That's what God eventually will do because he loves us. He's like, if you're rebelling, eventually like, fine, I'll put my, my bit in your mouth and like I'll yank you along. And that's gracious. He's saying, don't be like that. Seek the Lord when you can be found. Like if some of you don't yet trust the Lord, like today is maybe the last day you'll ever have. And tonight you can seek the Lord and guess what? You can find him. He can be found right now. Some of you, if you're like in sin and you're like, oh, I just feel this. Like tonight you can seek the Lord and he will be found. He says, when you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of my heart. David's like, trust me, seek him now. Seek him. You don't know if tomorrow's coming. So seek him now. 
So that's the first idea, confession to God. But then there's this other idea of we're actually, as Christians, called to confess our sins to other people, to one another. I mean, even just think about that. When's the last time you have sinned and went to a human being and said like, hey, I did this. And when's the last time you've done that? Um, James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Um, One of the guys here, Vince, just pointed this out to me the other day. He says, when you confess to God, you're forgiven. So maybe that's where Roman Catholics get it wrong. You don't have to confess to people. You can confess to God. We have one, one high priest. You can confess and be forgiven, but it's when we confess to people that we're healed. You notice the difference? So I can confess to Jesus and I'm forgiven, but it's when I humble myself and go say to a human, hey, bro, I, I'm struggling with this. I just did this. Healing comes when we're willing to share our sins with each other. That's where healing actually comes from. And the opposite is also true. You, we've all, I think, had sins that are like years long. I can, and it's like, I'm, I'm stuck. I can't do it. I'm a slave. When's the last time you confessed that sin? When's the last time you were like, hey, I'm gonna humble myself and I'm gonna share with a human being, this is my sin. Healing comes, James says, when we, when we confess. And remember this. So in Leviticus, this is, this is different than how we did things. The tabernacle was a public thing. So it wasn't like hidden. So you had to actually take your animal and, and like walk through the camp. And everyone's like, oh yeah, there goes Bo. He's going to the tabernacle. Like I know why he's going there. He did something wrong and he's got to go make a confession of sin. He's got to go make, you know, like a sacrifice. And today we're so like private about our relationship with Jesus. We're so private about our sin. We're like, no, 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 I'm fine. I, I don't want anybody to know. But at the end of the day, like, like we're, we're phony if we do that. This room is only full of sinners. Th- like, we're all only sinners. There's no one in here who doesn't need a savior. We are all broken sinners. Yet, we, we like, try to pretend like, no, I'm good. I'm okay. I don't need Jesus. I don't need to go make this confession of sin. And, and so think about this. Like, you would go in front of everybody and like, they may not hear what your sin was, but they would go watch you make your sacrifice and, and watch you come back. And maybe that's embarrassing, except that everyone saw everybody making their sacrifices every day. Think about the beauty of that. You look at like, oh, that person's so godly. And then you just see them like every day, making another sacrifice, making another sacrifice. Like that's profound. You would actually see the community going and humbling themselves and making sacrifices. And, and maybe like, even when we encourage you, like, hey, come to the carpets, come get prayer, come confess your sin, come take communion. There's this thought of like, oh, I don't, I don't want to, that's embarrassing, that's humiliating. I don't want people to see that I'm broken. I don't want to have to be the broken one. But in reality, like, that's, this is, in community is where healing comes from. Um, so I, and, and then just because, maybe because we're Americans, we're like, no, I'm good. It's like, we think strength is, a, is an ideal. Like, no, I want to be strong in the Lord. I want to be like, I'm good. Do you know that's actually not an ideal in Christianity? Like, Paul's like, I'm going to boast in my weakness. Like, we should boast in our weakness. It's so hard to do, but like, strength comes through that humility and like, I'm actually broken because then strength can come from the Lord when we seek him. So if you don't have, this is really, really important. If you don't have someone in your life who you confess sins to, like that needs to be 
top priority. Yes and amen on Friday nights every week, come get prayer. But like you need people in your life that you're able to text like when you're in your shame and the enemy is just lying to you like, hey, I just did this. And they can say, and then they can minister to you. And they can say, hey, Jesus died for you. Me too. And, and we can like together, healing happens that way. So that's a little homework for all of us. Like we need, we need to confess our sin to one another. And then this is just a cool fact. Um, personally, I, I pray for revival. This is a cool thing the Lord's doing. It's a really cool new thing. And honestly, like we pray here at 630 um, beforehand, if you ever want to come and pray and once a month, plug for prayer. We pray on Tuesday nights. Um, the next one is December 13 or something. Um, so revival, this is cool. Revival in like, at least in the United States in the past couple hundred years has almost exclusively come in our age group. And it's almost exclusively come, it starts with a small group of people praying. And do you know what the next thing that always, like it's literally, always, it's like, oh, it's, it's not a formula, but it's happened every time. Do you know what the next thing is? It's confession of sin. That's the next step in revival. Like, go study any revival. It's not a bunch of people like, oh, on fire for the Lord, and we're like, we're awesome, and God's gonna come bless us. It's like people on their face confessing their sin. Like, that happens in before, before any revival. That happens. And then it's this, this confession, and the Holy Spirit's like, I'm gonna honor that. And now I'm gonna point them to Jesus. And now they're just broken and tender and soft to me. And then like the spirit does a work. I was talking to a pastor who, uh, he used to be a college pastor in Michigan, okay? In like the 90s. And he witnessed like an actual revival, like hundreds of people getting saved. And um, he was telling me, he was like, yeah, I was a college pastor. And this thing started happening in all these different colleges where this like like stirring started to happen. And like, the spirit would fall at this college and like people would be praying for like all night long for days on end. And then, and then someone who had been there would go share at another college. And then like, then it would happen at that college and someone who'd been there would share. So someone who had been at another college came to this pastor's college and they're, they're having like a Sunday night service or something. And so he's like, okay, why don't you guys share? And they're sharing. And basically what the story is this, hey, God is doing a new thing and I was just two days ago at this place where someone just started confessing sin and then the next person confessed their sin and then the spirit fell. So like right now, is there anybody who wants to confess their sin in front of everyone right now? Like, could you imagine? Like, so someone comes up, this happened. Someone came up, hey, yeah. Um, and there was, well, like now, he, this guy was like, do you know what? I've, this is a real story. I, I've been, um, I've honestly like been having this like racism in my heart towards like this Asian group on campus. And there were like, like a bunch of Asian people in the congregation and like, it just got silent. And the guy just confessed that and like broke down and just like sat on like the front of the whatever. And like, it was cool. Like a bunch of like, he's like, dude, all the Asian students came and just started praying for this guy. And then he's like, anybody else? This other guy comes up. Could you imagine doing this? He's like, Hey, I have been like addicted to pornography and like, I, it's like, I can't get past it. And then the pastor said this. He said, is there anyone else who's struggling with this? And if, if you are, come forward. And he said like a hundred guys, maybe women too, I don't know. People came forward, like a lot of people came forward. And in that moment, like the Holy Spirit fell, like fell, like thick, like tears and weeping and confession. And it went all night long. 
And he was just like, we weren't being great. Like literally confession of sin and the Holy Spirit fell. And he said it lasted for like a week. And so many people got free. So many people got saved. Like he was like, it was a work of God. It was not a man-made thing. And look up any story of revival, like that's what happens. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. People are willing to confess it. Then we rejoice in the gospel and the blood of Jesus together and like real freedom happens. Like that's, that's the story of revival. You can actually see that in the Bible. One quick one in, in Ezra, if you ever read that story. Uh, long story short, all the people of God at that time weren't allowed to marry a foreign w- woman. And all these guys married all these foreign women. And Ezra the prophet basically calls everybody out like in a church service. And all the men get convicted. And they're like, this is crazy, but they're like, okay, we're done with these wives. And like they get rid of all their wives and they like fast and pray and like they all like renounce their sin and like there's like a real revival that happened. Um, In Jonah, you guys know the story of Jonah? The guy reluctantly is like, fine, I'll go. And he says eight words. And all he says is like, in 40 days, Nineveh shall perish. That's all he says. And the Holy Spirit brings the entire city to repentance. They're like, what have we done? And just the whole city repents, like a whole city, like revival in a pagan city. And they all repent and God's like, I'm not judging them. I just had grace on them. Like revival happens when this confession of sin. And then the last thing I want to read on this, because it's so important and good, because you can ask like, what, what brings real confession of sin? And, and, and it's this, if you want to flip real quick to Isaiah chapter six, if you want to confess of your sin, if you're having a hard time confessing of your sins, if this happens, you'll confess your sin. Isaiah 6 says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, which are angels. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your, if you're following, what's that next word? Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Do you know what helps bring repentance is when you see the holiness of God. Like Isaiah was doing fine. He was he was a prophet. He was like already prophesying. And one day he like saw the holiness of God and he was undone. He was like, woe is me. I am unclean. When what helps us see our sin is to see the holiness of God, to behold the perfection of God. Like if, if, if you're like, man, honestly, my heart is seared. My conscience is seared. It's been years. The key is to look at the holiness of God. And that will radically humble your heart. That'll soften you up. God's glory and holiness is enough to soften up even your heart. And so the first step 
So the removal of our guilt is to, so in, in the guilt offering, the first step is to acknowledge it. Hey, I'm guilty and I'm gonna confess it to the Lord and I'm gonna confess it to people. Then, okay, so once you confess your sin in a guilt offering, there's actually more to do um, because the guilt offering is when, like remember, you owe somebody something, okay? So the next step in the guilt offering, if you wanna flip back to Leviticus chapter five, verse 16 is this. The next step is this. Verse 5.16 says, He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss. And then chapter 6, verse 4 says the same thing. He shall restore it in full. Okay. So when you realize like your guilt to God or a person, uh, it'd be kind of weird like to just say, hey, sorry, and then like not do anything. Like here's an example. You find your, your friend's wallet. And you're like, oh, sweet, their wallet. And uh, you go spend all the money. And then you tell them, hey, I, I found your wallet. Sorry, I didn't give it back. Will you forgive me? Like, the guy, your friend's probably like, sure, I'll forgive you. But like, are you going to pay me back? Like, no, no, well, just forgive me. Like, that's weird, right? And it's the same with God. Hey, God, sorry, I forgot to tithe. Sorry, sorry, God, I forgot. Um, it's like, no, like, pay what you owe. You need to, you need to make, make it right. You need to make restitution. Um, in, in that story of Ezra, he, Ezra wasn't just like, okay, just feel bad, and then that's fine. Like, they actually had to get rid of their wives. They had to make it right, and then they offered a ram for their guilt offering. With, um, this is this crazy story in 1 Samuel where the Philistines, the bad guys, steal the Ark of the Covenant, which is like such a sick thing to do. You're like, we got the ark. Um, They brought it into their temple. It goes bad. Everyone's getting sick, getting tumors, dying. They're like, shoot, what are we doing? So they give the ark back. And what they actually do is, it's crazy. They, They make these little golden statues of tumors. And they're like, it'll be a guilt offering. We'll like pay God back. We'll pay their God back. Sorry, like we stole your thing. And they, they send gold back. Um, as Christians, if like we're called to like how cheap of us to be like, yes, the blood of Jesus. And then we just like don't treat each other right. Like that's, that's ridiculous. Like we're actually called, if you want to follow Jesus, yes, Jesus forgives you, but you are called to make things right with the people that you've wronged. You're called to make things right. In Matthew 5, uh, 22 through 23, Jesus says, hey, you're going to offer a sacrifice to, to God. He says, if you're offering your gift on the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Like that's so extreme. God is like, I would rather you go make something right with somebody and then, and then come worship me. Because how hypocritical, like, God, you are so good. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm not gonna deal with that situation right there, but I just, I love you, God. God's like, hey, go make that right. I want you to leave worship. Go call the person and say, bro, I'm sorry. Like, that's actually what Jesus says. Another one, like, we're supposed to pay our debts. Like, literally, like, pay your friends back. That's actually, like, a Christian thing to do. Uh, you need to, like, return your stuff. Uh, Paul says, pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love one another. So as Christians, this like does apply to us. Yes, uh, thank you, Jesus, that like we can come, like that you wanna take our guilt away, but like he's saying, you need to make things right. 
and, and I'm sure there's, there's people in my life who I'm not okay with. And like, that's part of following Jesus, this restitution. And then if that wasn't enough, did you notice that you actually have to like pay interest? Did you guys notice that? In verse uh, four of chapter six, it says, and you shall add a fifth to it. Give to him who it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And same in, in verse 16, add a fifth. So you, your friend leaves, let's say a hundred bucks and you're like, oh sick, a hundred bucks, where'd this come from? You go spend it, you realize like, oh, that was my friend's. You actually literally are supposed to like give them a hundred dollars and then 20 bucks more. Like, hey, my bad, 20 bucks more. If, if you withheld $100 of tithe, you are actually supposed to give God 20% back. Not just what you owe, but 20% back. Um, do you know why 20%? Any guess? Any guesses? That's a double, yeah, it's double tithe. So it's like, okay, I'm supposed to give 10% and I didn't. So as like restitution, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay a double tithe back. And that, like, that's this, this idea that not only should we make things right with people, like, we're supposed to go above and beyond. Uh, there's an example of someone in the Bible who did this. His name's Zacchaeus. You guys remember Zacchaeus? He's cheating everybody out of all their money. Jesus hangs out with him. He gets radically changed. And he's so stoked. He's like, he doesn't do 20%. He's like, I'm going to pay four times. But it's, it's the idea of, like, I've, made, I've wronged people, and I want to make it right. I want to go above and beyond. And the last thing why pay 20% more? It's this idea that it's actually costly to, to cheat the Lord. There's like this truth there that like, don't think when you don't tithe, you're, you're making it out. Like, oh yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of myself. I'm getting better than, I'm getting the good end of the deal. God's saying, hey, the, you're, you're not gonna win when you try to cheat me. When you try to withhold from me, he's, he's saying like, don't do that. He's saying, give to me and I'll bless you. And it's going to cost you if you're going to try and be stingy with me. And then the last piece of the offering was to offer a ram. Why a ram? Um, number one, you're not getting your sins forgiven. Remember, that was the burnt offering. The ram was just an expensive animal. And it was a statement of like, okay, I want to make things right. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pay for this. This is, this is wrong. And I want to make things right with, with God and with people. And so here's, here's kind of like the big idea of all of this. We, I know we carry around guilt and wounds. We've wronged people. We've wronged God. And we know what we've done. And, um, and I, I would venture to say, like, we probably carry guilt around with us every day. We probably do. We probably have guilt from our past or from today. Even for me, it's dumb, but like, oh, I didn't get up at the right time I wanted to get up at. And like, I like feel like, I'm like literally all day long, just like, I feel like crap, like, I just carry around this guilt. It may be a big thing. It may be a little thing, but like we carry this guilt around and God is saying here, hey, I want to, I want to deal with that. I want to deal with that weight, that guilt. Um, and, and this is kind of how we're going to turn a corner here. In Isaiah, you should actually flip here. This is good. In Isaiah chapter 53, God is, so God is predicting, he's prophesying of another guilt offering that is going to be made for all people. In Isaiah 53, we're going to read just two verses. We're going to read verse 5, and then we're going to read verse 10. This is really, really good. So Isaiah is prophesying about the future, about a future guilt offering, and it says this, verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Now look at verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Look at this sentence. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. You guys, or, or, or God in the Old Testament was like, I want to make a way for people's guilt to be dealt with. Do um, you know what the problem is though? You could do the, the right thing and you can make your guilt offering, but like us, you would leave that tabernacle still feeling guilty because you technically weren't guilty, but there's something in us that just carries guilt. There's something deep in us that is like, yeah, that offering didn't like fix what's going on inside. And I still think about what I did. Like if it was a father, I think about what I did to my kid. If it was a husband or a wife, I think what I did to my spouse. If it was a friend, like I think about how I wronged someone who means a lot to me or the Lord. And like, I know technically I'm, a, I'm my guilt taken away, but like it didn't actually fix the wound of guilt. And, and there needed to be a better guilt offering. And now listen, Jesus, Jesus wants to deal like with the root issue of our guilt and that weight that we carry around. Now, like, listen to this. Jesus doesn't just forgive you the wrath of God for your sin. That's the burnt offering. And Jesus doesn't just offer his perfect life and obedience. That's the grain offering. Jesus doesn't just bring you into fellowship with God. Because we've, imagine like looking at a friend who you've cheated. You're like, okay, I'm glad we're good, but like inside, like this kind of sucks still. That's the peace offering. Jesus not only takes away our sin, that's the sin offering, but finally this last offering, Jesus is like, I want to deal with your heart and I want to deal with your guilt. And I actually want to deal with it and I want to remove it. And, and at least me, Guilt is like carried around like this burden, like this weight, like a backpack. Like I'm carrying it, it's slowing me down. Or maybe it motivates, maybe it motivates me. Dang it, I feel this guilt, I gotta read my Bible. I slept in longer, I gotta do better. And it's like, it's, it's like this weight that's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta, it's gonna motivate me to get better. But we all know like guilt is a terrible motivator. We know that. We feel guilty for a moment and then like the next day and it's like, I, I'm still here. Um, and we can't remove the guilt on our own. Like we, maybe you've tried, maybe you try to do good deeds, maybe you try to cover your guilt, but honestly, it just adds to the burden because we fail and like you're just carrying around. And you know what else? Remember guilt's like this debt. Like we actually, you actually can't pay God back. Like even if you try to be perfect, you could never pay God the debt that you owe in, in your heart. Like you can't pay, it's too much. It's too much. And the only thing that can actually deal with that guilt is, is the cross of Jesus. And, and this is so not what we would think, but when we see the cross, that like burden is lifted off of our chest. It's lifted off of us because there is actually something that is declared over us when in Romans chapter eight, this is there is therefore now no more condemnation you are actually no longer condemned. You actually, when God looks at you, there, he does not see your guilt. He does not see your sin or your shame. He, he actually, like, it doesn't exist anymore. When, when you put your faith in Jesus at the sight of the cross and, and, what he, and that fact that he was risen from the dead, that 
that sight of what Jesus has done is the only thing that can ease this guilt that we carry around. And do you know what's cool? Jesus doesn't only remove your guilt. Remember, uh, like we, we would owe this debt. Remember, we have to make things right again. Do you know Jesus actually pays your debt too? Do you know that? He's like, hey, I'm gonna deal with your guilt and I'm gonna pay the debt that you owe. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So this is important. Not only can we not remove our guilt, like you can't pay God back. You can't do it. You can never pay the debt that you owe. So like literally stop trying in your soul, in your heart to like, I'm gonna worship right now and it's like gonna make me feel like I've, God's like happy with me. Like stop trying to pay your debt back. Like that's ridiculous. It's, it's already been paid in full at the cross. Jesus says it is finished. It is finished. We, we honestly, when we sin, we're like the prodigal son who are like, going to wander home and we come back to Jesus and we're like, okay, God, I'm not worthy to be your son, but like, just let me be a slave. Let me work for you. I'll work really hard. And then maybe like, we can be good. And he's like, don't try and pay me back. And he comes and he embraces us and he puts a robe and he treats us like for who we really are, his sons and his daughter. Like we, how ridiculous for the prodigal son to live his life every day. Like, no, I got to pay him back. Got to pay him back. You can't, you can't pay God back. Don't let your guilt motivate you to, to the Lord. Don't let your guilt motivate you to read your Bible. Do you know what will motivate you? When you see that Jesus paid it for you. When you see that you're already loved and you're already forgiven and your debt's already paid, there isn't a debt anymore, that'll actually motivate you. Some people will say, no, no, don't do that because then people will do whatever they want. And if that's true, then, then they probably, something hasn't happened in their heart. But what will motivate you more than your guilt is, is the blood of Jesus, that he paid your price. And this is, this is also cool. Remember how not only do you have to make restitution, but you had to like pay your, your fifth. You had to like make, you had to pay more. Do you know Jesus not only paid your debt, do you know Jesus pays far more than a double tithe for you? Did you know when you put your faith in Jesus, not only does he pay your debt, but he, he makes you righteous? Did you know that? He's not like, okay, I'll give you a little 20% for the rest of life. He's like, actually, I'm gonna pay your debt and I'm gonna declare over you that you are holy and righteous. That when God looks at you, not only is your debt paid, when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of God. Right now, when God looks at you, he sees righteousness. Jesus is like, I'll pay your debt and I'll give you my righteousness. That is actually how God thinks about you right now. Not only did you like get off the hook, it's he's made you rich. You are a son and a daughter of the king of kings. You are rich, you are righteous. Remember when the Israelites were getting freed from Egypt? Um, It would be cool to just be delivered from slavery. That's cool. But did you know that God put the fear of God in the Egyptians and like he was literally like, hey, go ask all the Egyptians for their stuff on your way out. Did you know that that actually happened? So the Egyptians or the Israelites are like, hey, can I have like your gold? And they're like, yeah, take it. And they literally plundered the Egyptians on their way out. And there's this picture. Not only are you forgiven, not only are you freed from your sin and from your slavery and from your guilt, God's like, I also want to make you rich. I want to send you out like you're doing well. Like you have my righteousness. You have the righteousness of God. You are son and daughter of the God, of God. And so when you worship tonight, Let's not try and like, 
when you read your Bible, when you want to follow Jesus, let's not try and earn righteousness. Like, that's ridiculous. It'd be like, it's almost insulting. It's saying to God, I don't believe that I really have your righteousness. I got to keep earning it. I feel guilty. Like, you have the righteousness of God. And the, the last thing I'll say is this. Since Jesus has paid your debt and more, like, you, we need to release people of their debt to us. Like, we can't, like, hold people's sin over their heads anymore. Like, how crazy if, if God's going to forgive you of your eternal debt for me to be like, yeah, but that person, what they did to me, I can't, I can't forgive them. I can't do that. Like, if you knew what they did to me, there's actually a parable about that where this guy was forgiven like a billion dollars. And on his way out, this guy owed him like a thousand dollars. And he's like, no, I'm not letting you go. And he puts the guy in prison. And when the, the, the king who forgave him found out, it's like, you wicked servant. And he said, I'm going to throw you in prison. And like, it shows that your heart has not been changed. If you can't forgive somebody, it shows your heart has not fully received like the love of God and the forgiveness of God. If you can't forgive, then you have not truly been forgiven. Jesus says it like really explicitly. If you do not forgive someone of their sins, I will not forgive you of yours. And it's this statement of, is your heart really changed? Does your heart really know that God has forgiven you? Because if your heart really knows God has forgiven me of my eternal sin and paid my debt and given me righteousness, then even if this person has really wronged me, it, it just doesn't compare. It doesn't compare to what God has forgiven me. And so because we as Christians have been forgiven, like we need to forgive people of their sin. And honestly, you guys, honestly, there are people in my life as I was writing this this week and I was so convicted, like, I'm holding this over their head. How, and how I treat them in my heart towards them, like I'm not letting them go. I'm not giving, I'm not forgiving them. And even to confess it, like I haven't dealt with that. That's like right now in my life, there's like a person who I have not forgiven and let go. And so we, have, we really have three options. Either number one, if they're a Christian, you need to accept, hey, Jesus has paid their debt. So you need to let it go. Or number two, they'll pay forever in hell. But, but I'm not going to make them punish. Either I accept Jesus has forgiven their debt or they'll pay one day. Just, Jesus says, hey, justice is mine. Vengeance is mine. Don't, you don't need to make that right. If they don't come to me, they'll pay. But, but that's my job. That's not your job. So either you need to know Jesus has forgiven them and so you need to. Number two, they will pay. But either way, Jesus has paid your debt. Either way, you've been forgiven, and so you need to forgive people's relatively small debt to you. You just have to. You have to forgive. Um, and so I'm going to invite the worship team up, and I just want to end in this, because honestly, like, sometimes, even Leviticus, you're like, Lord, does this really matter? Debt, like, you know, like a guilt offering. Um, aren't these just minor offenses? Does this really matter? Um, I just again want to remind us of like the holiness of God. God is holy and righteous. And there's this proverb that I found. I was like, wow, that's crazy. It says, fools mock at the guilt offering. Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. So I'm going to close with this quote um, from Andrew Bonner, the guy who's written the best commentary on this. And he's going to talk about if you understand and have a sense of your sin this guilt offering will be so precious to you. And if this offering is not precious to you, 
maybe you need like a fresh look at the holiness of God and like our sin before him. And this is what he says. He says, none go to the hiding place who fear no storm. Did you get that? None go to the hiding place who fear no storm. The stream flows by unheeded when the traveler on its banks is not thirsty. The whole will not use the physician. Sense of sin renders Jesus precious to the soul. Did you hear that? Sense of sin renders Jesus precious to the soul. Remember when Abraham was almost going to sacrifice Isaac, his, his brother, he's referred to his brother. He says, Ishmael may have mocked at the ram caught in the thicket, but not so Isaac, who had been bound with the cords of death. Isaac was like, thank you, God, for that ram. That ram spared me. It is only fools that will mock at the trespass offering. With the righteous, it is held in unspeakable esteem. And so I want to encourage us this as we prepare our hearts to worship. If honestly, you're like not really feeling it, and that's okay, that's me most days. I think the first thing we need to do is like, is remember the holiness of God. He's holy. And like, apart from him, I'm guilty. I'm actually guilty. And there's no hope for me. And that is why the blood of Jesus is so precious, that he, the blood of Jesus, would be shed to make an offering for my sin, to remove my guilt. And then if that's, if you're like, yes, thank you, Jesus, I just want to encourage you um, tonight and tomorrow morning and the next day and the next day when, when that guilt like tries to trickle back into your heart and when the enemy, the accuser, is just going to start speaking of your sin, I want to encourage you to remember Romans 8, 1 that says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is actually no more guilt. You are actually cleansed and whole and loved of God. Uh, I want to encourage some of us to commit tonight to like, I'm going to go talk to somebody. I'm going to make things right. I want to like encourage some of us, myself included, like by next Friday, by next week, I need to go make this right with this person. I need to forgive them. I need to stop holding their debt over their head. And then last, I want to encourage all of us to confess our sin to Jesus and to one another tonight. I actually want to invite us to do that. Um, we're going to have a prayer team up here. And if, if you don't feel comfortable asking somebody, that's okay. Like these people are anointed and gifted and want to pray for you. Um, you don't just have to confess sin, by the way. Like you can ask for healing. You can ask for prayer for anything in your life, but I want, I want to encourage all of us. We have, we have sin and it's healing will come as we, as we confess it. If, you're, if you came with a friend or you know someone or if you don't know someone, confess it anyways. Like we're brothers and sisters and we are in the same boat. We are sinners who have been rescued. And so let's confess and let's get healed tonight because Jesus says, you don't need to be ashamed. You need to cover yourself. Let, let me be your guilt offering. Let me take your guilt away. So let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your precious blood that made an offering for our guilt. Jesus, I pray that, that right now we would have a fresh sense of your holiness, of your glory and your majesty. God, help us. Holy Spirit, help us. If we're tired or stressed or overwhelmed or just sleepy or just apathetic, we don't really care. God, help us right now to see your glory and your holiness. God, would you, 
would you help our hearts to take our guilt to the cross and to look to the blood of Jesus that was shed? Would we believe your promises that Jesus actually did take our guilt away and there's no more condemnation for us? Holy Spirit, I pray for people tonight who have never confessed one of their sins in their life. God, would you lead them to confess their sin to you? And then would you lead them to confess their sin to a brother or sister? Lord, we want revival. We want your spirit to come. We want our friends and our cities and our schools and our workplaces. We want people to be saved, Lord. Uh, But would it start with us tonight, right now? Would we confess our sin to you? Would we confess our sin to one another? We believe that's, that's how you've done it in the past, Lord. That's how revival comes. God, would we not hold back? Help us, Holy Spirit. And then just help us to rest in the blood of Jesus that we are accepted. Would we heed the invitation of Jesus to come to me all who are weary and heavy laden for I will give you rest. I will give rest for your souls. We believe that we can be free of that guilt when we come to you, Jesus. Would we do that now?